This is 8 Minutes, a podcast helping you understand the energy and climate challenge in just a few minutes. I'm your host, Paul Schuster. It's about time I stepped back and talked about the international treaty that underpins so much of our climate ambition and challenge. I am, of course, talking about the Paris Agreement that emerged from the UN Conference of Parties at COP21. Taking aim at limiting global temperature increases to less than 2 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial times, and establishing a more ambitious goal for only 1.5 degrees Celsius, the Paris Agreement is a remarkable piece of cooperation between 198 countries. Today, I'll talk a little bit about what it took to get us to Paris in the first place, what the agreement actually means, and I'll even discuss how we're doing in meeting those commitments. Eight minutes. It's how long it takes the sun's rays to hit Earth, or about how long it takes the Barbie movie to pull in another 100K. Let's get it on. The Paris Agreement is a seminal treaty that has paced the world's ambitions and actions ever since it was ratified back in 2015. It is at the core of so much of our climate action. Why do we talk about two degrees or one and a half degrees Celsius when discussing global warming? Because that's what the Paris Agreement is trying to hold us to. Why do the annual conference of parties, the COPs, matter so much? It's because they give the entire globe the opportunity and responsibility to track progress against Paris and adapt or recenter as needed. Let's go back a few years, though, as to what the Paris Agreement is and why it's become so important. Perhaps one of the earliest and most influential cooperative agreements towards climate came all the way back in 1987 with the signing of the Montreal Protocol. That treaty laid out actions for countries to reduce the amount of harmful ozone-depleting emissions that were, at the time, seriously harming the ozone layer. About a decade later, the world came together again and ratified the Kyoto Protocol, which laid out a series of six, later amended to seven, critical greenhouse gases that contributed to global warming while also requiring commitments towards reducing those emissions. While groundbreaking, the Kyoto Protocol failed in many ways to enact the types of cuts across the globe that would be necessary for stalling climate change. Part of the reason it was so tough? The treaty exempted emerging Asian states, most notably China, from any action. And well, that didn't sit well with the U.S., who cited competitiveness in their own non-ratification of the treaty. To get a truly impactful treaty, both the U.S. and China would need to be involved, which is why the Paris Agreement was and is such a big deal. This was the first real global compact that our global community agreed to following in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. 198 countries have eventually signed on to the treaty, marking a remarkable non-geopolitical agreement. So, what does it do? First, it lays out distinct targets. Its aim, to keep the Earth from warming 2 degrees centigrade and, if possible, to keep that to less than 1.5 degrees Celsius. In order to meet those goals, the agreement indicates that greenhouse gas emissions will have to peak by no later than 2025 and then decline by 43% by 2030, which, checks watch, is a remarkably ambitious time frame. Each country develops their own nationally determined contributions, NDCs, as their action plans for reducing those emissions. And since 2020, these NDCs have been reported on in order to keep everyone moving forward towards this target. And every year, the COP gets together to hash out underlying challenges and concerns and keep the treaty evolving to ensure compliance by that huge consortium of countries. 
Is it a foolproof treaty? Hardly. Many environmentalists would argue that it doesn't go far enough and that the commitments aren't legally binding. And then there's a lot of questions that still arise as to the equitability of the treaty, especially to more vulnerable African and island countries that need financing in order to do anything. But it is a remarkable acknowledgement of the need to come together as a global community to address this massive challenge, which happened as much for China's involvement as it did for the U.S.'s leadership at the time. China, importantly, is something of a challenging participant in the international community for climate. For one thing, the country grapples with climate-induced crises as much as the United States or anywhere else. Just this past month, temperatures soared to 126 degrees Fahrenheit in the Turpan Depression, while on the other side of the country, the Guangxi province was pounded by Typhoon Taelim. And while the Chinese are now the largest developers of renewable energy assets, their overall approach has been focused a bit more on softening the impact of climate rather than on reducing the overall emissions. The Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air reports that 2022, for instance, saw China issue permits for 106 gigawatts of new coal generation across 82 locations, four times the number of permits issued in 2021. Obviously, building coal facilities that are expected to have a 30-year-plus life is hardly the best thing from a climate perspective. But without China's participation, the Paris Agreement wouldn't have come about in the first place. The other challenge to the agreement is that it may already be too dated. Recent climate models suggest that some of the worst effects of climate change are likely to happen by one and a half degrees of change, which argues that that two-degree target may be too soft to begin with. And, well, the Washington Post published a research piece in December of last year that argued that the planet may have already blown through that one and a half degree limit. At this point, reducing greenhouse gas emissions may not be enough, and we'll have to start removing carbon as well. Which puts a lot of pressure on the upcoming COP28 in Dubai. Once again, the world will gather to discuss how to stay on track with the spirit and letter of the Paris Agreement, all while acknowledging the global heat waves that are pummeling our land masses, the inconsistency of our largest global emitter in China, the science-based data that shows we may have already missed our most ambitious target, and the necessities to do more, faster, with what time we have left. All this in a cop that will be hosted in Dubai, which has created no end of controversy, having an oil-producing state host the most important environmental conference of the year. The Paris Agreement may not be a perfect solution for the global climate crisis, but what it did do is to create the first truly global commitment of nations towards resolving climate change. Did it come too late? Is it strong enough to enact meaningful change? Who, who knows? But it continues to provide the foundation for our global climate collaboration. So let's hope so. I'm Paul Schuster, and this has been your 8 Minutes. 